Welcome to State of the State, the roundup of policy and research for the state of Michigan brought to you by the Institute of Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and the good folks here at WKER Studios. My name is Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director for the Institute, and I'm joined today by economist Dr. Charlie Ballard, MSU economist Dr. Charlie Ballard, as well as Institute Director Dr. Mac Grossman. And obviously today, uh, given the uh, COVID-19 crisis, uh, we are doing this remotely. Um, Today, we're going to uh, have a discussion of the impact of COVID-19. This conversation will be about uh, its impact on politics and uh, the economy. And uh, Matt, in particular, the last month has uh, certainly seen a lot of changes, Um, but at the beginning, beginning of March, Michigan played a key role in the presidential primary race on the Democratic side. Uh, Our primary came after Super Tuesday when uh, Joe Biden picked up a lot of steam, and that continued in a state uh, uh, such as ours the next week, which Bernie Sanders had won uh, four years ago against Hillary Clinton. Um, So can you talk a bit about the importance of the Michigan primary and how you see things moving forward in the primary uh, system uh, all the way to the convention, uh, given the current situation? Well, the, the race is essentially over in the, in the primary, but it's still in a, a suspended animation pattern uh, because uh, we aren't having any primaries while we uh, deal with all this. And the presidential uh, race has receded in the news dramatically. Uh, while this uh, takes center stage. Um, But where we left off uh, after Michigan, Washington, uh, and the other states that that voted that day is that uh, Joe Biden was was sort of on a glide path to the nomination. Uh, Bernie Sanders would start to have to win primaries by 30 or 40 percentage points um, uh, nearly the rest of the way uh, in order for him to, to actually have a chance to win a majority of delegates. Uh, So it's essentially over, but Bernie Sanders hasn't dropped out. And so we uh, kind of continue this pattern. Meanwhile, uh, the candidates have receded from the news uh, quite dramatically, uh, especially Joe Biden, who doesn't have sort of a role in the congressional process the way that Bernie Sanders does. Uh, And uh, that has provided Trump with an opportunity. Um, Unsurprisingly, uh, by historical patterns, but surprisingly to anyone who's sort of watched the response up, up close, uh, Donald Trump is gaining in uh, approval overall and in approval on this specific uh, topic uh, through the crisis. Uh, that's a, a normal pattern where people seek to believe and uh, trust and hope for their leaders in times of crisis. Uh, it's not a huge jump compared to other leaders, including the governor, uh, but it is still a bump in a, a closed presidential uh, environment. And uh, how long, I mean, we have conventions when in July, uh, I think the Democratic one was the end of July. Um, any thoughts on how this may play out over over the coming months? I mean, everything that uh, most things that I've been reading is that while, you know, a lot of folks are hopeful we can get back to some normalcy here uh, in mid-April, uh, that it's quite likely that uh, rules about social distancing could go on for more than a couple of months. Uh, Governor Whitmer today 
was quoted on a radio show in Detroit as saying it's very unlikely that K-12 schools will be back in session this school year. Uh, and I know that uh, I saw something about New York, which is the epi New York City, which is the epicenter right now in this country uh, for the pandemic, uh, doesn't expect to hit its peak until uh, mid-April itself. So what, what are your thoughts as to how this may play out in politics? Well, most states that are moving their primaries have moved them to the beginning of June. Uh, it may turn out that that's, that's not good enough uh, to get beyond uh, the window. Uh, and it even may turn out that the conventions have to take place in some other uh, kind of uh, format. Uh, I think we can we can deal with all of that, um, but uh, there's even concern about the November election and a possible uh, comeback of the virus um, around then. And we did have the state just below us, Ohio, actually cancel uh, their primary election on the night before uh, in a direct uh, contradiction to a court. Uh, so uh, there there is some concern uh, that while we can move elections and adapt, uh, being able to cancel elections uh, is is quite a, a scary political power. Now, you mentioned the bump that President Trump has gotten, uh, noting that it's a normal bump in times of crisis. People look to their uh, leaders, uh, their president, uh, especially on a national crisis. Um, any thoughts on uh, how that uh, could, could play out over the course of time? He gets an immediate bump right now. Uh, but I, th I think in, in prior in pa prior years, even under 9-11, uh, presidents get an initial bump, but then that seems to fade, does it not? Well, it, it faded, but it faded over a five or six year <laughs> window uh, slowly. Um, this is a much smaller bump than that, so it could um, fade uh, more quickly. Uh, surprisingly, it's, it's even among independents and Democrats, um, and it does appear directly tied to the president's increased visibility around uh, the election and there's even I mean around the, the virus and there's even some sign uh, that he's he's gaining in general election polls uh, slightly as well. That's short term. It's a long way uh, from now to November. And uh, what we're going to be talking about with with Charlie is, is likely to have much bigger impact on the president's chances uh, than the initial response to the virus. That is, if we have a recession in the year of the election, it is a, a very bad sign for the president. So let's turn to uh, you, Charlie. Uh, I know that you've been doing a lot of work, taking a look at a lot of different uh, reports over the last few weeks. Um, where are we at right now? Well, if I could, before I get into that, if I could uh, just uh, uh, follow up on some things that Matt said, um, you know, one of the other uh, signatures of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research is the state of the state survey. And um, for more than a quarter of a century, we've been asking um, Michigan residents about their views of um, the president. And the highest ratings that we ever recorded were for George W. Bush um, in, in the first uh, survey that we took right after 9-11. Uh, that, and that was a huge surge. As, as Matt says, this, that's different from a small bump that President Trump appears to be having. That was a huge jump in his popularity uh, to over 75% um, giving him favorable ratings. But then it did um, fade and fade and fade and fade. And the lowest ratings that we've ever had for a president 
were the last uh, survey that we took before George W. Bush, uh, Bush left office. So um, uh, things can change rapidly over time. Um, but to the economy, um, the, the I think maybe the, the best single uh, indication of the stunning economic dislocation caused by this uh, virus is that we learned earlier this week that last week 3.3 million Americans made first-time claims for unemployment insurance compensation. Uh, that's not just a record. That shatters the previous weekly record uh, by, um, uh, uh, it's more than four times as many as the previous highest uh, number of weekly unemployment claims. So uh, a very, very rapid uh, decline. Uh, I, I, Matt said something about a recession. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the United States' economy is in recession now. Um, we'll get an official call on that in good time from the committee of the National Bureau of Economic Research that, uh, that makes the call on these. But I, I believe with high confidence that they will say that March 2020 was the beginning of a recession and the end of the, the longest economic expansion in American history. If there's, if, if, if we've been growing for almost 11 years. And if there's any silver lining here, it is that at least um, w the economy was starting from a somewhat stronger point. Uh, imagine what COVID-19 would have done if it had hit in the winter of 2009, uh, when the economy was very weak for other reasons. Um, this week, we're having the passage of a, an unprecedentedly large fiscal stimulus, $2.2 trillion. Um, uh, I, uh, I applaud the uh, uh, Congress and the president for uh, belatedly um, figuring out some things that needed to be done. We, we wasted precious weeks in January and February when we could have been more seriously preparing for this crisis because the scientific community was, was giving plenty of warnings, but they largely went unheeded and the, the uh, folks outside the, the medical community didn't really start paying a whole lot of attention until the last week in February. Then the stock market went down over a period of a month by 37%. It's dropped, uh, it, it bounced back some um, this week um, in anticipation of the, uh, the passage of this uh, stimulus bill. But uh, the, the economy is, is definitely struggling. There's, there's just no uh, two ways about it. My most hopeful scenario is that Sometime in the next few months, we can get the virus under control. And then if we could return to normal um, or something more like normal, it, it's possible that this recession might be a very, very sharp, very deep, but maybe not so long a recession. Uh, I, I would caution, however, that we're seeing evidence of the bounce back um, in Hong Kong and Singapore, they thought they had the virus under control, and then um, uh, the numbers have uh, have surged again. So this is this is a pathogen. Uh, this virus is a nasty, nasty opponent. And uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts about a second stimulus? I saw today Congresswoman Slotkin from Michigan 
mentioned that this might not be the only stimulus bill they need to pass. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I think this is all a work in progress. Uh, we, we're, um, uh, there's nobody who's ever been through a situation like this before. We're all kind of feeling our way along. Um, and I have heard others say that uh, this, even though $2.2 trillion sounds just uh, astonishingly large, um, there may be the need for uh, some additional stimulus um, later on. I think we'll have to see. I don't think anybody knows uh, for sure. Really, everything depends upon how fast we can control the virus. Um, and uh, the epidemiological models suggest that this is going to be a challenge. But um, uh, a lot of energy going into uh, ramping up production of masks, personal protective equipment, um, ventilators. Um, possibly finding a, vir a, a virus vaccine, although that's likely to take us well into 2021 at least. So um, we're, we're trying on all sorts of fronts. I do think that this fiscal stimulus, it's not perfect. After all, it can't by itself fix the virus. But I do believe that it is a... Uh, it, it was a generally a good step, and I, I applaud most of the things that are in that bill. As uh, contrast them with the Hoover administration's uh, stance, as the Great Depression got worse and worse in the early 30s, where they essentially do, did nothing. Here, we're trying to uh, prop up the economy. Well, let's talk about something you mentioned there that. Uh, listeners, I'm sure, are not very familiar with, but they've been hearing a bit about, and that's, the, I think it's called the Defense Protection Act, Production Act, the Defense Production Act, that the president has invoked, uh, but not used, uh, although he did use uh, the power of social media early today when he tweeted um, quite strong uh, language toward Ford and General Motors that they needed to get moving on making ventilators and masks. Uh, that uh, they said they can make 40000 but now have only promised 6000 and they want top dollar. Um, uh, Matt or, or, uh, or, or Charlie, how often have, uh, has a president used a Defense Production Act? And what have your, do you have any thoughts as to whether or not, uh, you know, the president might just go ahead and say, uh, you know, GM and Forbes, this is what you must do and this is how you must do it. Well, actually, there, a lot of commentators have been saying for weeks that they've been surprised that uh, President Trump hasn't taken that action more forcefully um, and earlier to try to really put us on a wartime footing. Um, Larry Summers, the uh, Harvard economist, uh, sa said last night, uh, we are at war. Uh, th this is an unconventional war. It's different from... World War II or Vietnam with bullets, but it is no more, no less a, um, a national crisis. And many have been surprised and disappointed that the president hadn't acted strong, more strongly, more quickly. Now, part of that is uh, the difficulty that he himself has faced in, in coming to terms with what's happening, because uh, as you know, for, for weeks, he was Essentially, uh, he often would say that the, the virus was uh, the result of the fake news media. Um, it was a hoax. 
the numbers were uh, trivial, it wasn't going to be a problem. And if it is a problem, we've got it totally under control. So that rhetoric of his, uh, which has been amplified um, in certain media outlets, um, uh, that rhetoric makes it difficult. If you're saying on the one hand that there is a, uh, that there isn't a problem, it makes it difficult to turn around and immediately say, okay, we've got to ramp up production. Um, we'll see how that goes. Matt, any thoughts on, on the president's use of uh, the Defense Production Act? Well, we haven't really seen much uh, real action uh, yet. Um, I can understand that they had many voluntary opportunities come in to do things like make masks and that, that it may be true that the private sector could mobilize to do that. Uh, on their own pretty quickly. I think it's a pretty different situation when we're talking about transforming an auto factory into a uh, producer of medical equipment and trying to have that done in a matter of a few weeks without some kind of uh, centralized um, planning. So I think that's that's sort of what we're seeing in, in action. Um, in terms of the, the stimulus, you know, this was sort of like doing uh, the, the Bush administration checks, the something like the TARP program for the banks, except for the broader economy to back up the Fed and the Obama stimulus uh, kind of all in one in one big bill. Um, but it is not going to be nearly enough, um, especially on the, the aid to states and localities um, uh, that are going to now face uh pretty severe revenue shortfalls in addition to um, spending needs. Um, it is unlikely to be enough to tell all, they're essentially trying to tell all small businesses that they can continue paying their payroll and they'll get a, uh, they'll get backed up um, by the, by the government in forgivable loans. But again, the allocation to that was nowhere near what that would actually entail doing. Um, so the, the chance that they have to go back to this, I think, is is pretty high um, compared to the Obama era stimulus. They also uh, didn't do anything to didn't anticipate doing anything to kind of um, rebuild uh, the economy. Uh, there's no infrastructure spending. There's really no energy transformation um, uh, funding. Those were two big components of the Obama era stimulus. Um, so those kinds of things are, are definitely going to be still on the table uh, for coming back to. And then all these state state governments are going to have to react in the middle of, of the, the fiscal cycle to huge changes in their uh, budget and their, their needs and all kinds of, of changes in areas like education and, and health that they're going to have to do quickly. Well, let's turn to, uh, 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 and, you, and you, you both make ec excellent points. Uh, this president has early on uh, uh, last week or so turned himself a wartime president. So it, it will be interesting to see how he moves forward. Um, he's been hesitant uh, to invoke the Defense Production Act fully. And Matt, you mentioned uh, that states are looking for some kind of centralization to this. And certainly, I think that has been the largest criticism of the federal government right now. So we'll see how that plays out over the course of the next week. But another issue at hand that is near and dear uh, to the heart of the citizens of Michigan is civil liberties. And I'm seeing a lot of discussion uh, uh, from business owners, uh, golf course owners who are wondering why certain businesses are able to stay open and why other businesses aren't. Uh, terms being used like taking a private property um, and you know, telling me as a private business owner what I can and cannot do 
seem to be popping up. Um, if the social distancing and stay-at-home orders continue, any thoughts on how the public might react? Well, the public is reacting in all sorts of ways already. Uh, the, when people are scared, as I think a lot of Americans are, uh, they uh, they react in, in all sorts of ways. We've seen uh, panic buying of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and, and then later other things. We've seen, um, in some cases, hoarding of, of um, foodstuffs uh, for the fear that at some point down the road things will run out. Um, these are uh, behaviors that are understandable, but that don't necessarily um, achieve social ends. Uh, I, one of the things that I think is uh, um, of top concern is a lot of folks are going to get checks um, or electronic funds transfers, um, $1,200 for an adult, $500 for, child, for a child. So for a family of four with two kids, that's uh, $3,400, substantial amount of money. But the question is, what will they spend it on? And um, fiscal, fiscal stimulus, the, the, the traditional idea um, is uh, do something, tax cut or direct spending, to put more money in people's pockets so that they will then go to the grocery store, go to the hardware store, go do various things, keep that money circulating, and that will help to support the economy so those businesses will be able to stay open. Well, we're in a weird situation now because many of the channels through which people would traditionally be expected to spend money are gone. You know, uh, hey, I got I got my my fiscal stimulus check. Let's go out for dinner and a movie. Uh, no, you're probably not going to go out for dinner and a movie. You, you might go to some of the local restaurants that are doing takeout, but you probably don't want to go to a theater. Um, if you're tense and you want a massage uh, or you want to get your hair done or get your nails done, th those things are, are not happening. So all sorts of consumer expenditures are off the table or nearly off the table. I think that will mean that although this stimulus is needed and a step in the right direction, I don't think that we should pretend that it's going to work perfectly. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. But one of the things I'd like to bring up or like to ask is, you're right, when it comes to the entertainment industry, uh, very little impact except for streaming services and i'm not sure that'll have a large impact but retail will this hasten online shopping for goods normally purchased at brick and mortar grocery stores department stores is this going to hasten their demise because that's where that's where people could spend their money we could see a big turn to online shopping i read the other day where you know it's not that big a deal in china uh, they do online shopping all the time. Only 4% of Americans do online grocery shopping. Could this hasten the demise of the traditional grocery store and department store? Well, the traditional brick and mortar uh, retailers have been um, in, struggling for, for really uh, uh, years now uh, as uh, uh, mail order and uh, online services uh, have grown. And um, uh, right now, of course, that's being amplified. What I think we don't know is 
after things get back to normal, assuming that things do someday get back to normal, what will people do then uh, when they will have the option of going into those brick and mortar retailers? I don't know whether this will lead to a permanent change. It might. Um, or it might be just a blip along a long-term trend moving in the general direction of online sales and less uh, brick and mortar. Um, I hope we don't go too far in that, in that uh, uh, direction because, you know, you and I, Arnold and, and Matt, we've talked about uh, placemaking, about what makes a good community. And, and one of the things that I think makes good communities is having uh, actual brick and mortar stores, having um, restaurants and bars um, and, and places where you can go to shop. Yeah, density is certainly taking a shot right now, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If, if density is one of the things that we look for in terms of trying to, that, that creates a, or has at least traditionally been thought of as creating a good community, um, that's, that's not working very well right now. You know, uh, one, one other thing that I thought would be worth mentioning just in terms of the the massive logistical challenges that we are facing with this um, with this virus and our response to it. Um, the small business loans, and Matt uh, said they may not be adequate, but put that aside for the moment. What we're supposed to have is $350 billion of loans backed by this Small Business Administration. Currently, the Small Business Administration backs $25 billion of loans. So what they're supposed to do is um, mag uh, multiply their for portfolio by a factor of 15, and they're supposed to do it right away. And all of the banks, uh, all of the lenders working with those small businesses and the SBA, that's going to be a challenge. And um, the unemployment insurance, we know that un Michigan's unemployment insurance system is rickety in the best of times. And these are not the best of times. So even though people have suddenly become eligible for unemployment insurance, I think it's an open question how fast they will be able to get the benefits to which they are entitled. Matt, any thoughts on um, the speed at which countries like China or South Korea um, were able to get a handle on the initial wave, and we'll just call it the initial wave of this virus, because of their societies and cultures and forms of government uh, as compared to what we have here in the, um, in the United States. Yeah, we're asking uh, quite a bit of uh, <laughs> administrators, bankers, uh, state and local governments, everyone who has to quickly implement uh, all of these uh, policies while dealing with a whole bunch of, of fires. Um, how would you, how do you think about how, how Michigan is, is dealing with it at, at this time? Uh, we're, you know, we were one of the last states to get any cases, but have now jumped up much faster than any other state. And we're having sort of a crisis in the, in the Detroit area uh, already. Uh, what are, what are the, sort of background factors that, that make that uh, likely? And is there anything that the state can, can do to avoid the worst? Well, I think uh, we're doing many of the right things with Governor Whitmer's um, stay-at-home orders. Um, but of, of course, what, what we're seeing, even with people staying at home, is that the, the infection had already uh, gotten, gotten going. And um, I think it's going to put tremendous strain on our local 
uh, hospitals and emergency rooms and intensive care units. Um, um, I, I think, you know, I, I have a great admiration for the healthcare providers in Michigan, and I think they will do their absolute best. Um, that doesn't mean that it will be easy uh, at all. And there, you know, unfortunately, there, there have been deaths. There will be more deaths. Um, but my view is that it's, uh, it's appropriate to try these social distancing measures very aggressively because that's the main thing that's going to uh, flatten the curve. And what about uh, the, the Detroit area's just health and economic difficulties going into it? Is that going to exacerbate this, this crisis? Well, certainly. I, th I think you look at Detroit, which has, of course, some very affluent neighborhoods, but which overall is a poor city. And some of its suburbs are not very affluent, although some are. Um, we know that in any kind of a situation like this, those who have limited resources are often the ones who struggle the most. Um, and um, uh, we, we've seen data on the infection rates and the um, severity of the outbreak uh, strong among uh, minority populations. Um, that's unfortunate, but I think it's going to be uh, the case. Um, going forward. And so, you know, I, Detroit, and I, I have a dog in this fight because my mom's a native Detroiter and I've been visiting Detroit for most of my life. Um, Detroit, you know, had a 60 year decline and uh, it, it seemed that they were turning the corner. This is not going to help. I think it's going to be all hands on deck. I certainly hope that the Whitmer, Whitmer administration and Mayor Duggan's administration will work closely together to do everything they can to, to mitigate this. But um, no question, it's a, it's a tough, tough time. Well, we'll have to leave it there now, but we'll certainly uh, be watching as, as things move forward and as we uh, enter a darker health and economic uh, period and try to work our ways out of it. Any, any last uh, words of hope, Charlie? Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm washing my hands a lot. And uh, um, uh, I, I think people, one, one hopeful sign is that I think people finally got the message. I think Americans were slow to get the message. I think you saw the pictures of um, uh, spring break teenagers in Florida who certainly didn't look like they were concerned about the coronavirus. I think most Americans now have got it, have understood that this is a serious uh, problem and, and you can't really address it unless people understand that it's an issue. So at least I think we've turned a corner in terms of public awareness. All right. Well, we'll leave it on that positive note and see you next time on State of the State.